Part 6. Feeling the Meaning of Life While neuroscientist Sam Harris spent his career refuting religions, he has displayed over the years open-mindedness, especially mindfulness, to the quest for spiritual experiences. I found hope in his 2004 book, Waking Up, A Guide to Spirituality Without Religion. An adept at contemplative meditation, Harris maintains that we can live happy lives by paying attention to the present moment. In this manner, questions such as what is the meaning of life are taken in a new liberating context. Compliant with scientific approach, Harris reminds us that thoughts are not real, are not an entity that thoughts have a mind of their own. He acknowledges the measurable effect that religious beliefs have on the brain. He also recognizes our urge to posit and answer the question, what is the meaning of life, while proposing a way to live the question that has no answer. I cannot agree more. At various instances in this podcast, I mentioned breath. My rationale was that paying attention to your breath connects you directly to your senses, allowing your thoughts to live their own life, accepting that thoughts are not entities, recognizing that they captured your attention away from your breath and patiently reconnecting to the sensation of your breath again and again, a thousand times. In this manner, you developed a new relationship with your thoughts. You let them be. You acknowledge rumination without reacting. You are not intimidated by your thoughts, no matter how rebarbative they might be. In the fourth chapter or part of this podcast, I spent time establishing that thoughts are incidental to the evolution of interneurons that build predictive mental models. I also mentioned in the fifth part that once these mental models evolve to become independent of sensory input and output, feeding on memories, on false fears, on dopamine as a reward, existential crisis was born. The liberated mental models acquired the ability to imprison us. Disconnected from primary senses, they became the cause of torment, anxiety, unease, and spleen. Not the organ, but the pain of living, as can by French poet Baudelaire in The Flowers of Evil. Spleen represents melancholy, with no apparent cause, characterized by disgust with everything. Can you beat that? Try German philosopher and pessimist Archer Schopenhauer in his book On the Sufferings of the World, 1851, he writes, Unless suffering is the direct and immediate object of life, our existence must entirely fail of its aim. Schopenhauer must have paid much attention to his thoughts, feeling, feeding on them. According to him, if you accustom yourself to this view of life, you will regulate your expectations accordingly and cease to look upon all its disagreeable incidents as anything unusual or irregular. Nay, you will find everything is as it should be. In a world where each of us pays the penalty of existence, 
in their own particular way. Close quotation. Perhaps I'm reading too much into his views, but allow me suggesting that he was spot on about accepting these incessant thoughts, letting them be. Here they are, the sources of suffering, but thoughts are not real, so I return to my breath a thousand times. I am not intimidated. Let's take a segments of the above quote. Open quotation. You will regulate your expectations accordingly and cease to look upon all its disagreeable incidents. Close quotation. Returning to the feeling of your breath, you connect with your primary senses of touch, feeling the air passing through your nostrils, or you connect to another primary sense, proprioception, feeling your chest inflating and deflating. Thoughts or disagreeable incidents, as mentioned by Schopenhauer, have their own life. You get back to your breathing, to the now. This is how one can regulate. However, I would disagree with Schopenhauer that each of us should pay the penalty of existence in their own particular way. Let us all stop for a moment and breathe mindfully in stillness. Inspire, be inspired, let go, take the leap of faith. Here's a quote from Willa Cather from her book Death from the Archbishop. Where there is great love, there are always miracles. Miracles rest not so much upon faces or voices or healing power coming to us from far off, but on our perception being made finer, so that for a moment our eyes can see and our ears can hear what is there about us always. Close quotation. States of elation, bliss, can be reached with meditation, a fancy word for observation. Meditating is observing, paying attention in the now. Contemporary examples include Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh, whose practice of mindfulness, of breathing, and of social engagement has touched many. We simply can let go, feel with our senses. In Zen practice, one lets go when hanging from a cliff, the cliff represents the illusion of threat. The cliff is a false threat. Here's a quote from Clarice Lispector from her collected um, poems of The Passion According to G.H. It is because I dove into the abyss that I am beginning to love the abyss I am made of. Close quotation. One takes the leap of faith and lets go of the cliff, the cliff, coming back to your senses in their basic sense, sense as transducers transforming the air passing through the nose into a stable sensory experience, which in turn stabilizes the breathing itself through the vagal nerve parasympathetic system. Rumination follows its own unpredictable rules, however one connects back to the breath and lets the thought be. The freewheeling mental models, many of which announce false stress, false predictions, or these models reminisce traumatic past experiences. At some level, unhappiness, depression, and anxiety all stem from wanting to change our current state as if it were a threat. Wanting to change these thoughts, taking them for face value, they are not real. 
can lead to unhappiness. Here's a quote from Randy Armstrong. Worry does not take away tomorrow's troubles. It takes away today's peace. Let go is to realize there is no threat. When we are not detecting threats. When? Well, there are no felt threats during an orgasm. During dopamine-loaded rewards such as winning high-stakes competitions or lottery, using opioids or falling in love. Most antidepressant drugs, SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and SNRIs, selective serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor, act not on the reward system but by suppressing threats in the amygdala and prefrontal cortex among other regions. Another way to address depression is to be mindful of the many false threats conveyed by the revving thoughts in his book, The Ravenous Brain, How the New Science of Consciousness Explains Our Insatiable Search for Meaning, Daniel Bohr reminds us that the brain selects which sensory modulation to bring to conscious attention. It does so by searching for patterns amidst the constant bombardment of information. Patterns are fragmented, compressed, and made available to consciousness. Fragmentation and compression are vulnerable processes that can lead not only to illusions, but also most gravely to mental illness. Imagine emotionally charged memory fragments combined to construct false threats leading to anxiety and loss of hope, i.e. depression. Danielle Bohr argues that many mental illness could be viewed as disorders of consciousness. Mindfulness allows letting the thoughts be without acting on them, without being intimidated by them. It is not easy to achieve a state of inner peace. Thoughts flow freely again and again, distracting you from focusing on your breath. You return again and again a thousand times to your breath. We owe a great deal to John Kabat-Zinn, who studied with Thich Nhat Hanh, for sensitizing and educating the Western world to mindfulness in a secular manner oriented to reduce stress. Our potential to experience happiness is as infinite as our willingness or mindfulness to scale in the direct sensory inputs to connect with our senses as finely, as focused, as mindfully as possible, to connect directly to our senses. Optimal focus, awareness, or direct modulation of our brain by our senses implies to let go of judgment, to let thoughts flow freely so that the modulation of brain activity by our senses does dominate our awareness, not reacting to past, which is rumination, or future plans, worries, just living in the present moment, with meditation, letting go, dying to oneself, or prayer, letting go to God, nature, spirit, we can connect with our senses more and more to an infinitely more and more detailed scale directly. It is not trivial in our hyper-stimulated world. Ultimately, the journey is personal, albeit as social animals, complicity from friends and groups can enrich and motivate us on our journey. But beware of select clubs for members only. Beware of tribalism. Beware of cults. Beware of self-proclaimed holders of the truth. 
why can't I end with a positive note? <laughs> the ability, even the urge to ask what is the meaning of life is incidental to the evolution of the neural circuits that generate predictive mental models. The very ones introduced by Kenneth Craig in his 1943 book, The Nature of Explanation. As Samaris said, we must live the question. We must live with the many revving thoughts that have nothing to do with the two evolutionary drives that incidentally led to millions of species, one among them being Homo sapiens, survival and passing of genes. However, it is also our capacity to think that allows us to learn, to create, again, for pure pleasure of it, but also to improve our quality of life and in some cases to destroy us. What is the etymology of the word feeling? The meaning of the word feeling drifted from its original uh, meaning as signifying sensation of touch. To define thoughts or emotions, I propose that examining the etymology of what it means to feel will allow us appreciating the title of this part of the podcast, which is also the title of the podcast, Feeling the Meaning of Life. Just as an intellectual exercise, I would like to make a parallel with the evolution of senses from transducing and acting to the interposition of cells between primary senses and effectors until the in-between becomes feeling without the need of input and output. This is how the third part started with the obscure sentence. Between sensors and effectors, the in-between becomes sense, trying to make sense, compelled to make sense. Let go, breathe, and come back to your senses. In the late 12th century, to feel refers to the physical act of touching and to the sense of touch itself. Mid-14th century sees its first use as signifying a conscious emotion or an opinion, what one feels about something. Most contemporary dictionaries concur that to feel has several meanings. Here's nine of them. 1. To use the sense of touch. 2. To become aware of through the skin. To use the sense of touch on. 3. To find one's way, literally or figuratively, by touching or using cautious movements. 4. To receive information by touch or by any neurons other than those responsible for sight, smell, taste, or hearing. 5. To search by sense of touch. 6. To sense or think emotionally or judgmentally. 7. To experience an emotion or other mental state. 8. To think, believe, or have an impression. 9. To sympathize, to have the sensibilities moved or affected. Which one of these nine meanings best applies when trying to act upon the peculiar proposition, feeling the meaning of life? How does one feel the meaning of life? Perhaps most definitions apply. Feel free to try each one by one. Perhaps some definition will touch you more than others when thinking of the implied question, what is the meaning of life? Have you tried applying each definition to the podcast title? If so, let's talk about them. A viscerally emotional component is felt when asking, 
What is the meaning of life? Definitions 6 to 8 are tempting to use. You could also sympathize with the question itself, definition 9. What about the physical sense of touch? It is my view that a way to live the question, as proposed by Sam Harris, is through definition number 2. To become aware of, through the skin, to use the sense of touch on. However, I would also propose to modify definition number four to include other sensory modalities, particularly proprioception, which implicitly falls under the classification of touch in the five subjective categories of human senses. One way of living the question, what is the meaning of life, is to stop everything and pay attention to your senses while accepting the random flow of thoughts without acting on them but rather by returning your attention to your senses. The most common of the senses felt in stillness and silence is your breath. If we are going with definition 7, how are you feeling today? We are inquiring about your mood. Just as an example, there are many key players in threat signals and reward system, all of which are elemental to determining what is our mood. You might recognize some players, the amygdala, the medial prefrontal cortex, the hippocampus, the locus cerulius, and the lateral hypothalamus. The ventral tegmental area is the hub for reward. This is where most dopamine is produced. You can feel the air passing through your nostrils as well as your chest inflating and deflating as you pay attention which is synonymous to observing or meditating. Through your breath, you let go. And with practice, repeating every day for no particular reason, your breathing becomes your anchor, your beacon, and your source of bliss. What happens? I would like to suggest that when you are in a state of silence and stillness, you let go, you make that leap of faith. You're no longer a victim of the loop of thinking about thinking. That's Fritz's metaconsciousness. Thinking about thinking can be a curse, another name for it, to ruminate. When you ruminate, you drift endlessly out of the physical reality your ancestors have evolved in. The expression, come back to your senses, is full of wisdom. You can connect to your senses, those arising from breathing, the rhythmic passage of air, in and out of your nostrils and the rhythmic movement of your chest inflating and deflating. Now here's an interesting question. What is the origin of your rhythmic breathing? Where does it come from? You certainly can control how you breathe, but you can also let go to it. You can take that leap of faith. Try it now if you can. Try to feel your breath without actually forcing anything. Just letting go. Trust yourself. Do not make any efforts to breathe. Just let it be. Even if you stop, trust me, you eventually breathe again. Just let go. As you do so, your breathing is on automatic pilot. It is controlled by your brainstem, more specifically by assemblies of interneurons forming neural networks called central pattern generators, or CPG. This is your reptilian brain, taking care of everything in silence and stillness, paying attention to your breathing, 
your brain devotes its full awareness to the outcome of CPGs. During this moment, there are no threats, no worries, no urge to answer questions. You are truly free and thus can feel bliss. While stimulating the reward system leads to pleasure, the experience is ephemeral, leading to wanting more and more and more. The feeling of wholeness during repeated mindful breathing practice in silence and stillness tends to percolate outside of formal sessions. We mentioned CPGs in the third part when talking about the different levels linking sensors and effectors. Together, the group of interneurons forming the CPGs have the intrinsic ability to generate rhythmic pattern activity without sensory input. From an evolutionary perspective, they are the first examples of interneurons able to generate activity independently from sensory feedback or any other patterned input. The evolution of CPGs made muscle coordination possible, allowing organisms such as lampreys, used as a model by Stel Grindler, to swim in their environment. As evolution followed its course, CPGs became involved in other rhythmic behavior, including crawling on earth, walking, feeding, chewing, swallowing, and breathing. Briefly, in human, breathing is coordinated in the brainstem by distinct assemblies of interneurons that are respectively specialized in driving distinct aspects of breathing. These groups are under the control of the pre-Butzinger complex, which coordinates all phases of breathing cycle. Of interest is that there is accumulating evidence of a reciprocal relationship between the pre-Butzinger complex and brain regions associated with emotions. Christian Zelano and colleagues in 2016 showed that natural breathing through the nose was associated with synchronized electrical activity in the limbic system, responsible for emotions, including the amygdala, responsible for fear detection, and hippocampus for memory. They also obtained behavioral results supporting that the breathing phase enhanced the discrimination between real and false threats, as well as improved memory retrieval. In addition, Zamozik and colleagues in 2020 reported that mindfulness practice reduced the respiration pattern variability associated in some case of depression. They previously had established that respiration pattern variability was linked with increased connectivity between the parahippocampal gyri and the posterior singular cortex, which tends to be more pronounced in states of depression. Finally, Andresa Magales and colleagues in 2018 did a systematic review of 11 independent studies. She concluded that meditation was associated with increased activity in the two following brain areas, prefrontal frontal cortex, in line with increased level of cognition and attention, and two, ancillary cortex, in line with greater bodily awareness and potentially healthier emotional states. The actual mechanism underlying how the action of breathing itself might modulate cognition and emotion still elude us. However, compromise. However, promising 
and pertinent anatomical pathways have been proposed specifically two distinct types of pre-Botzinger complex neurons, DBX1 and CDH9+, project to the Nucleus cerulius, the main region where noradrenaline is produced and represents a hub for emotional control. One digression, did you know that the uniquely high concentration of noradrenaline gives the nucleus a tint of blue? Locus cerulius is Latin for the blue location. This is only one of many other candidate pathways linking breathing CPGs and the higher brain centers involved in emotions. Just to make a point that there does not have to be anything mysterious to how one might reach a state of bliss. Here is a quote from an exhaustive review by Del Negro and colleagues in 2018. Open quote. Pre-Batzinger complex projections to the suprapontine nuclei via direct or indirect pathways through the parabrachial nuclei or lucus cerulius or via olfactory nuclei which receive respiration modulated input, vagal afferent input activated by large inspiratory efforts. Note the vagal stimulation is effective in treating depression. Afferent pathways activated by changes in both blood gases and collaterals and descend of descending inputs that drive volitional or emotional breathing. The bottom line is that there are numerous connections between the brainstem breathing CPGs and more rostral brain structures through which physiological, volitional, and emotional stimuli that affect breathing in turn affect arousal, emotion, and cognition. Close quotation. The point I would like to make is that one cannot disregard these observations. It takes efforts to understand and everybody has her his own limits, including me as a sensory physiologist. These details are outside of my comfort zone. I indulge in quoting from this review to support the importance of facts. You do not need to know the details of how cars work, let alone their increasing electronically controlled systems, to accept that there is nothing mysterious and that in fact the functioning of car engines can be explained. In no way am I comparing cars with us. Do not take me wrong here. Again, I need to stress this. Trying to understand the functioning of the brain does not mean to desacralize life and the world we live in. One must find the sacred in the material world without ever being materialistic, more than ever. Observing with compassion is part of it. Let me push this further as an exercise. I would like to propose that the source of feeling of bliss through meditation, prayer, contemplation involves the pre-Botzinger complex interacting in a reciprocal manner with areas in the brain that deal with threat detection and emotions. Imagine studies have imagine studies have identified distinct regions of the brain that are activated when a state of bliss of or enlightenment is reached through religious practice or not. While some researchers propose that these regions prove the existence of something greater than us, something outside the material world, I see here a link between the pre-Botzinger complex and these regions. A common factor in reaching these states of enlightenment is 
to regularly impose oneself silence through mindfulness, Zen practices, prayer, or contemplation, to name a few. Ultimately, one connects to a feeling of inner peace through letting go to your intrinsic rhythmic breathing, whether you are aware of it or not. That is, there are various ways to connect with your breath, consciously or not. Mindful breathing is not the only way. If you let go to your conviction that there does not need to be any meaning of to life, or that you do not know, or that the meaning is God, gut, good, Jesus, Highland, Christ, Messiah, Yahweh, Allah, Shiva, Muhammad, Hu, Hua, Ayi, Rabbi, or the Buddha, Bhagavan, Baha, Akal, Murat, Akal, Purak, Gzedwe, Jehovah, or any other external agent, if you let go truly and honestly in stillness and silence, you will connect to your breath in stillness and full awareness, knowingly or not. This state of wakeful rest is accompanied by what is known as default mode network. At this very moment, specific regions of your brain will be highly active, much more so than when performing any focused tasks. We talked about some of these regions. They tend to be located in the prefrontal and temporal lobes in the posterior singular cortex. The key is to practice again and again with humility and sincerity, opening your heart. The outcome I propose is the same, inner peace. Letting go is counterintuitive, hence the need to practice. There is recent evidence that activation of the default mode network via meditation might contribute to healthy aging. In conclusion, how do you feel the meaning of life? We can connect to our breathing and let go, setting time aside on a daily basis. At least, this is one way. How can we achieve this? 1. By being curious and carefully observing how our physical body has evolved and how it works. Without knowing the details, one can be open and accept scientific observations until better ones. If this is the case, come forward and replace previous ones. This approach of educating oneself is compliant with leading a spiritual and sacred life. Reductionism does not imply to desacralize. 2. By stopping and connecting with our senses, such as epitomized by our rhythmic breathing, frankly, in our modern society, meditation, mindfulness, or contemplative prayer are often seen as inconveniences or even eccentricities. You must exert your right to be you, mostly because you are not infringing on anybody else's expression. Which brings me to what I consider to be the two major threats in our society, ignorance and convenience. How can one address these concerns in a humane fashion? Thank you. This ends part six.